podcast with your punk ass mixtape. If I see George Zimmerman, am I killing him? <laughs> Leave him stranded like Gilligan? I'm spitting around. I'm spitting all militant. I'm on the grind. All that other stuff is irrelevant when his ass is mine. You don't want me to mic check. I'm telling what I'll do. You don't know what to expect. All you know is how vital I am in snatching titles, running off the rails when I'm arriving in Spartan Dive. You know, I spazzed at the gas house because they kept bragging about hashtagging harm ass out. So keep speaking in code to fetch Pete Pete. The man got rocked the bed when let's spread out the red jeep. It's monotonous. I keep missing that plot twist. Because love and hip hop. You're not going to introduce me, Harry. I'd love to hear your voice first. You're listening to the, the Tom Ficklin Show. With Tom Ficklin on WNHHLP 103.5 FM. All right, now I'm awake, now I'm awake, now I'm awake. You, you have such that, that lovely radio voice. Good morning, everybody. And again, you probably wonder uh, what you're listening to, and we're going to talk about that. It's the Dave and Beak, Beak Show, the, their podcast. But I have Dave Canton with us uh, this morning. And Dave is the uh, Associate Professor of History and Director of the Af- Africana Studies Program at, at Connecticut College in New London. He's also the author of the Raymond Pace Alexander, a new Negro lawyer, fights for civil rights in Philadelphia. That's that's a book that I had a chance to look at, Dave, uh, uh, last night, and, and really impressed with the, the the heroes that we did, the heroes and the sheroes that we don't know about. So check out uh, Raymond Pace Alexander, a new Negro lawyer, fights for civil rights in Philadelphia. Uh, Dave is also uh, a Greenhouse Public Voices fellow through the Op Ed Project, and we're going to discuss a variety of things today. But they're all kind of the inter- you hear this word intersectionality, but they all kind of connect with economics and politics and free speech and, and rights as an individual. And it's how do you survive in a society, and 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 how do you kind of market your skills, whether it's individually or or in a collaborative situation. So we're going to we're going to talk about racism, poverty, and militarism from a oh from a fifty year kind of retrospective in terms of uh, what Martin Luther King Jr. had to say about that. We're going to talk about some of the college uh, issues with basketball and and whether college players should be compensated. We're going to talk about, and this is really fascinating to me, not to say the other two aren't fascinating, but but deindustrialization, suburbanization, and mass incarceration, and the decline of black baseball players. Deindustrialization, suburbanization, and going to the suburbs, the the, the trend to move to the (laughs) suburbs, and mass incarceration, and the decline of black baseball players. And obviously, we can't kind of conclu- talk about sports without referencing uh, the Kaepernick, the Kaepernick phenomenon, et cetera. So, Dave, good, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Good, doing good, man. So, just briefly, tell tell people about the uh, the Dave and Beaks. We're going to play your podcast uh, uh, as we conclude the show. But I want people to kind of want people to know about your your versatility. Hmm. Well, thank you. Uh, the Dave and Beaks podcast is a sports podcast mixed in with hip hop. We do politics. We do sports. It's almost like a Hot ninety seven. And NPR. Mm. So I'm I'm David Canton. I do the uh, all the information content points, and my producer Jerry Beeks. He handles all the hip hop lyrics and all the drops and all the uh, technical aspects of the show. Uh, we started this summer, and the reason when I watch I watch a lot of uh, lot, watch and listen a lot of talk radio, and sports talk, mm-hmm. and I believe in my academic training and in my history, my love of talk radio. We bring a different perspective. There you go. In terms of we look at particularly race and sports. That uh, many of the individuals, and again, not knocking journalists, Mm -hmm. but again, have had the historical training or their analysis is pretty much not as deep as it can go. So we try to do something different. We throw the hip hop in there with lyrics that are connected to the topics of the day. And we find that it's a it's a it's a passion of ours. 
and we're just trying to build up this base. Hopefully, people will turn tune into the podcast after they hear my voice this morning. Absolutely, and we'll include the podcast link on you know we send out on SoundCloud and 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 we're Facebook Live now and and the Tom Ficklin various uh, uh, internet kind of locations where people can find it. So we'll promote the show and just that the cross fertilization and the creativity that that's occurring throughout the nation is really so key for us to, to beat the drum as uh, the, the black newspapers talked about in 1827. Dave, let's, 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 let's jump, jump right in this. You had an article in truth out magazine, which is online as well, as well as hard copy. And I was really uh, impressed with the title deja vu all over again, racism, poverty, and militarism 50 years later. Um, and you're referencing Martin Luther King's comments at that point and then how it intersects today. But but tell what unpack that for me a little bit. Okay, great question. So as we know, uh, next year, April 4th, 19, 2018, is a golden anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination in Memphis, Tennessee. We also know this year, the 50th anniversary of his most popular book, but not well studied, Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community? So what I did, I looked at the book, I'm turning 50 next year okay, <laughs> in all June right, all right. and put it all together and say, well, you know what? During the last portion of Dr. King's career, he was extremely anti-Vietnam War. Mm. There was no doubt about it. He made a decision. He said it's a moral conscience and that I'm willing to go against President Lyndon B. Johnson, who supported the civil rights movement more so out of pressure. Mm. People always get that mixed up. Out of pressure, he supported the civil rights movement, the Civil Rights Act and Voting Rights Act. And that many of Dr. King's close advisors viewed that as a wrong move. Mm-hmm. Practical politics. If you go against the war, the money stops coming for the Southern Christian Leadership Council, SCLC, and now we're on the other side. But Dr. King could not do it. But he also realized all the funding that went to the Vietnam War weren't able to provide the funding for the Great Society programs. Mm-hmm. So in 2017, the United States would find this war on terror for the last 16 years mm-hmm. has spent billions of dollars. And we're at the same problem all over again. Mm. There's not enough money to fund social programs. Now you don't want to fund health care, public education, infrastructure, job training, jobs. We have the same correlation. So you have it with militarism. We have racism. We see that, yes, there has been racial progress. progress. There's no doubt about it. Look at all the statistical measures. But at the same time, there's a persistence of discrimination in the job market. Mm. So there's still discrimination, mm. a persistence of it. Mm-hmm. So, again, these things are not static. It's not the same, no, quote, unquote, no Negroes apply, no Latinos apply. You can apply, but we're going to look at your, your resume and still put it to the side if your name is Tyrone mm-hmm. or Shaniqua. And there have been a, so many, a number of studies evidencing that. Sure, tons mm-hmm. of studies. So these are what we call the structural realities of America. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at it 50 years ago, 50 years forward, we're still dealing with the same structural problems. But unfortunately for many citizens, we look at America as individuals. We don't understand how structures and institutions work. That's why we're still having the same problem, whether it's Kaepernick or the two brothers from 68 in Mexico City 50 years next year. Mm-hmm. So t- t- it's t- the Tom, same yeah, Tom, problem. Yeah, t- t- Tommy Smith, yeah. And John Carlos. So, so you're using, you're, you're referencing then institutional racism. Correct. Uh-huh. Correct. So in other words, 50 years ago, Dr. King's book, uh, there's another book by uh, Charles Hamilton and uh, Stokely Carmichael called Black Power. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Kerner Commission, which came out after the riots of 1967. All three books talked about institutional racism. The Kerner Commission talked about police brutality and stop and frisk in the 1960s. Mm. So in other Mm. words, 50 years ago, these books outline institutional racism. 
institutional sexism, all these structural things were in the system. They recognized that. But unfortunately, in our culture, we address things through reform that we think once a law or once one or two people get in and or we can say there's a black president, there's a black professor. Yes, that's true. But we look at it statistically in the structures. Mm -hmm. You see that there's a persistence of racism, persistence. These things continue because they're in the structure and the cultural DNA of the country. So Dr. King, when he organized the Poor People's March, was trying to address poverty. Poverty is as real as apple pie. Mm. There are more poor white people than black people. Let me say that one more time. Mm -hmm. There are more poor white people. In fact, double the number of poor white people than black people. So when they cut health care, more poor whites are suffering Mm. than black people. Mm. But unfortunately, we've racialized poverty. So we think about poverty as some black person running through your head. We think about welfare as some black woman with 17,000 kids running through your Mm -hmm. head. But the reality is there's more poor white people. That means there's more poor white women on SNAP sliding Mm. EBT cards. There's more poor white men hooked up on opioids and need treatment. Yes, we see that crisis, absolutely. You see what I'm saying? But Mm -hmm. we racialize poverty. See? So what we happen, you have poor whites voting against their interests and tricked. You see? And then on the flip side for African Americans, unfortunately for some of us, we've internalized, right, that there's people in the black community that are keeping black people back. Mm Mm-hmm. Because of them, if they don't pull their pants up, we'll move ahead. That has no relation to the data, right? Yes, there are individuals that, you know, every individual needs help, but the systemic systemic racism, the persistence of discrimination, the lack of opportunity, lack of livable wage jobs, those are the issues that are hurting African Americans. Yes, you applaud all the self-help issues, but the structure, programs, all that costs money. Mm-hmm. All of that, you see, and that's and, and, and you're suggesting that there really is there is enough money per se, but it's the allocation and the distribution of it. Of course, the mm-hmm. will mm-hmm. tax and corporations increasing the taxes on the wealthy. There's not enough revenue coming into the federal government. That's the problem. There's not enough revenue coming in to pay for these programs. Also, where sixty percent of the U.S. budget goes to the military. But that's what I mean. I hear you saying if, you, if the mil- if the military expenditures were reduced. Makes a difference. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. look at the national federal budget, you'll find that education and they get less than 10 percent of the federal budget. Sixty percent goes to the federal for the defense. The United mm. States spends more than the next eight industrialized nations mm. on mm. military. Say that again. The United States spends more than the next eight industrialized nations on the military. So that's why when you're in the military, you like Republicans, you're going to get a pay raise. Right. You there's this alleged there's more empathy, more sympathy. It seems mm-hmm. like they're more patriotic. You get a two, two percent bump. Right. But of course, also those that make weapons, they benefit. Mm. The contractors make money like Halle Burton, Dick Cheney. Mm-hmm. Of course, they love that 60 percent. But the reality is for a lot of other people, they're suffering. And when people say, you know, with no health care, you're going to die. Stop being literal. For some people, it's over time. Mm-hmm. When you don't get your medication. Mm-hmm. You can't go die. You're not going to die that day. Some people do. But it's, it's metaphoric. We know in the long term, when one doesn't have health care, it's not going to end up in a good position, particularly if you're poor and low income. When we know obesity and all these other uh, preventable diseases are connected to what? Poverty. Whether you're black or you're white. That's right. Listen to the Tom Ficklin show and really a pleasure to have uh, uh, Dave, Dave Canton with us. Dave is the, David Canton is the associate professor of history and director of the Af- Africana studies program at Con College. The article that he was referencing deja vu all over again, 
racism, poverty, and militarism fifty years later. We'll we'll, we'll include that include that site that 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 uh, notation also in the in the website because it's really good. You you've uh, you've just believe it or not, listeners, he's just covered maybe one tenth of what's what's it what's in this article. So you gotta you gotta read this article. Uh, really key. Let's let's um, before we move to another subject, you want to you want to chat any more about about that? Well, yeah. Well, two things. Obviously, read the essay. And also just start to think about how do you, we change our thinking about when they say what we do for Africa. I think it's a two-pronged solution. It's always have been. Of course, continuing one does in local community organizations, but also changing how one's perspective and that it's not that Africans are not trying. It's these systemic realities. Mm-hmm. So in other words, we talk about wealth gaps, health gaps, mm-hmm. and people have to be clear on the question. If you want to solve the wealth gap, you need policies. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Now, if you want to increase your savings as an individual, that talks about cut out buying coffee every day, cut out your cable. That will increase your savings. But we also know that many people are living check to check when you're low income. So it's not that folks don't want to create wealth. They don't have the mechanism. So you need policies. When we talk about health gaps. You need health insurance, health care. You need uh, healthy food options. Mm-hmm. Now, individuals can cut down on their French fries, can walk more. Of course you can but there are many folks working two, three low-paying jobs that don't have time. That's systemic. If you increase the work to make a livable wage, I can work less hours. I've spent time so I can walk and exercise. So you want to be clear about when we talk about closing gaps, that takes policies. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about individual efforts of doing things, that's what people are doing. So you have to combine the two because what happens is you just get frustrated and just get mad at black people. Black mm-hmm. people are not doing this. Black people are not doing that. Black, yes, they are doing mm-hmm. it. But what are you doing on the systemic side? Mm-hmm. Calling Congress people, calling politicians, voting, engaging, reading, having discussions, and just thinking about these 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 issues in a larger, in a macro, a larger way. And in fact, just as you said said that, Dave, uh, you you were involved with. Correct me if I'm wrong. Some young people in the NAACP youth, and you had an event. I think that that from from my read, but I want I don't want don't want to interpret it for you. That was a way for them to work on their tactics and strategies and, and, and become active and, and aware of what's going on in the world. So t- share a little bit a little bit about that. Well, yeah, this year is the 100th anniversary of the uh, Greater New Haven chapter of the NAACP and also 100th anniversary of the silent protest parade in Harlem by the NAACP. So what we know is that lynching was a major uh, issue in the South after slavery. So it's funny, during slavery, there's no lynching numbers. I wonder <laughs> why I needed the labor. <laughs> <laughs> but as soon as 1865 kicks in, all of a sudden numbers go up. So the same guy who was childlike, docile, we don't need to lynch that person. But all of a sudden, when they're free, now he's a beast ready to go out and rape white women. So we have to control that under this ban of, quote-unquote, protecting white womanhood. So we find that 4,000 African Americans have been lynched in this country. was documented. Mm-hmm. I think we, I think in the South now, the Southern poverty lost them, if I'm not mistaken, they're having a memorial Yes, for the yes. uh, for the victims of lynching in this country, so more people died through lynching than who died on the nine eleven attacks. Mm. But mm. unfortunately, in our nation's history with amnesia, there's never a uh, time to take time out to recognize how African Americans, some of them even World War II soldiers, mm-hmm. were lynched in uniform mm. because for many white Americans that was just or that was just not should happen. How yes. could a black person be a citizen? So basically we said 100 years later that, again, like I've always been preaching that, it's the same systemic issues. Voter suppression, 2.0, 2017, dealing with that again. Police brutality, still dealing with that. That's a long issue in this nation's history. So 
you celebrate these years to recognize where you've been. Yes, we have a black man in New Haven. There's a black police chief. There's all these black uh, middle class folks doing great. But we know systemically, even amongst the black middle class, the wealth gap, many being denied promotions, we still see that persistence of discrimination. So young people have to understand and and have the analytical tools Mm -hmm. to see. Because, again, like I said before, if you don't, you just get frustrated and angry that black people aren't doing anything. They just wait on the government. They're lazy. The reality is, is that black folks have always done something. But this persistence of discrimination, racism, sexism, classism, these other things are realities that you have to, again, fight at the same time. Again, in the article that David's referencing, uh, Deja Vu all over again, racism, poverty, and militarism 50 years later uh, in, in Truth Out magazine, which is really worth kind of taking a look at as well. Uh, you also, Dave, I mean, you've been doing a lot of writing, man. You've been, you've been earning, earning some, picking some <laughs> cotton here. Yeah. Pick, pick a little bit of cotton. Yeah, that uh, op-ed program pretty much we had to uh, basically show how to get, there's so many blogs, beauty of social media, so many mm-hmm. outlets now that people put out ideas. Mm-hmm. So uh, this was an opportunity to write some of these essays and get on these different uh, platforms and get your ideas out there. Boy, tremendous. Let's talk about, again, you're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show, and David Canton is with us. But Ebony, speaking of platforms, I mean, that's a platform that's been around for a while. And and the case for compensating college basketball players, the case for compensating college basketball players, We, as we know, the basketball season is starting. And um, you say some provocative things in there also, it, it, from my standpoint, in terms of economics and skill sets and, and businesses and who owns who and your freedom of speech and freedom of activity and also how one gets uh, whether you're earning money for others and, and not, not getting getting reward, rewarded for it. So the case for compensating college basketball players. Well, we know just recently uh, four African-American male coaches are now were in a sting with the FBI, mm-hmm. almost like the show The Wire, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where they got these uh, African-American uh, individuals getting cash to lead these young African-American male players to these sneaker contracts. Mm. So we know this is a billion-dollar industry. So whenever something becomes an industry, industry, for instance, the military-industrial complex mm-hmm. after World War II, the prison-industrial complex in the six, in the sixth as early as the nineteen sixties, the the drug-industrial complex, opioids. So it's no different with college athletics. Now again, it varies in degrees. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the water polo team, the field hockey team. In each sport, there's a culture of how they recruit top talent. Mm-hmm. Now, the gifts are different. They vary. If you're a top swimmer, you're being competed against other top elite schools. My argument is that we all know what produces the revenue, college, men's basketball, and college football, period. Mm. There's no discussion. There's no debate. Most men's sports don't make money. Nobody's interested in in the shooting team at Ohio State. You know there's a shooting team mm, in mm-hmm, Ohio State? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. No one's watching that. The men's soccer team at Utah, nobody cares. We all know Big Ten Network, Pac-12 Network, all those big Power Five conferences, it was because of football, period, and basketball. So as a college athlete, they get full tuition, you get the tutoring, And they get stipends. They get a monthly check because Mm -hmm. they can't work. So if you're on the uh, lacrosse team, female lacrosse team at the University of Maryland, you might get $800 a month. Now, keep in mind, what people don't understand, most students who play D1 football and basketball are second-generation 
college students. Let mm, me repeat mm, that. Mm, this mm. whole Allen Iverson myth of from the hood, that's a minority. Shaquille O'Neal's son's going to college. All these kids' parents attended college. So when you look at the field hockey team at Ohio State, they're upper middle class. So the $800 a month is just cherry on top, and I can ask mom and dad for $2,000. <laughs> you see what I mean? The mm-hmm. water polo. Now, if you're a first-gen student, I read a good piece by a Latino uh, woman. I forgot what school. I think she played. I forgot what sport she played, but she talked about it. She was receiving $1,100 a month to play on a particular team. I forgot. It's a great mm-hmm. piece. Mm-hmm. So the reality is they're getting a stipend. However, those sports don't produce revenue. Mm. Now, let's look at coaches' salaries. Look at uh, football and basketball. Jim Harbaugh, the coach of Michigan, makes $9 million. He's the number one paid public employee in Michigan. And Flint, you (laughs) can't get clean water. More than a president. Come on now. Mm -hmm. You can't get clean water in Flint. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Rick Pitino, who just finally caught up with him, who resigned with the scandal at his school, was making $7 million. Auburn University, Chuck Person, an assistant coach, was making $240,000 a year, was caught doing the uh, in the sting. His head coach, probably his boss, probably makes $1.5 million. So look at the gap. He's doing the same amount of work to get the brothers to recruit, to talk to other brothers, mm-hmm. but he's making $800,000 less. So I can see why he took some of that money. <laughs> he's doing the same job. And you know, to become a head coach, how racist it is, it's hard to get in the game. Mm. So if I get these top players and we win, then I become a head coach and make a million dollars, the starting average salary for these Power Five coaches in basketball. So my argument is these football players and basketball players need what you call a stipend, a payment, whatever language you want to use, they need to get more money. Mm. Or the worst case, these coaches should get paid no more than an administrator. They make money from TV shows, sneaker contracts, there's all types of deals in this. It's so corrupt, this industry. So now the NC2A and Condoleezza Rice is on this committee is saying we want to check out this system that's unfair. Unfair to whom? Not the coaches. It's unfair to the players. So they're even asking the wrong question. Mm. So they're still at the same question. They're not getting paid. You see what I mean? So my thing is pay them, increase that stipend. I don't know if when they leave you get $20,000 or minimum free tuition forever. Because if you don't graduate, mm-hmm. I should be able to walk into the Ohio State to the Bursar's office. That's where you pay big work. That's where you pay mm-hmm. your money. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Dave Ken. He played in 19, 2012. He gets in for free. No fees. No how. If I want to live on the campus for free, I should at minimum get that. But that's what's wrong with that industry. White male coaches, most of them are, are making millions of dollars off the labor of these black athletes in football in basketball. So you see the connection when people talk about sometimes sports being a plantation, you see a connection there. Without a doubt. There's a book by a William Roden, $40 million slaves. Now, now let's, now this, this is the key. When you talk about slavery, folks, it's about power. So the reality is, of course, LeBron James is not enslaved in that sense, right? Many people don't realize that there's a gentleman by the name of Kurt Flood. Mm-hmm. He played for the St. Louis Cardinals. And in sports, they had what's called the reserve clause. So players had no say in where they can go. So he challenged that in 1975 with the, uh, uh, when St. Louis said, you know, Kurt, we're going to send you to the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, remember, Philadelphia was a racist town, mm-hmm. big time. He said, I don't want to go to Philadelphia. Well, you had no choice. 
So the, so the argument is the plantation is you have white owners who control the means of production, i.e. the stadiums, the large revenues, and that the players, the laborers, predominantly black in football and basketball. And that's what we have. It's about power. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? So the reality is that, yes, these players have power because they can make a choice. You see what I mean? You don't have to play, right? There's free agency. But the argument is that the optics of it. Mm. So when Jerry Jones says, you must do X, you say, wait a minute, 13th Amendment, my friend, 1865. And since you're in Texas, it's called Juneteenth. <laughs> you see what I mean? So it's about power. He's exerting power. Now, I'm not enslaved. I have power to say yay or nay. And of course, you're going to say, well, that's an employer. Well, most jobs, you don't have to stand for no Pledge of Allegiance or sing a song. Why is it in public events? You see, my argument is mm-hmm. what we need to do for the veterans is increase their benefits. Okay, so so let, let's just let's just let's just jump to Kaepernick since since you've jumped there, okay. and, we'll, and we'll still try to cover the other okay. the, the other two articles as well because certainly this has been in the news and the, and the sustained attention on and great great media attention and really great national attention on either side of people have various perspectives and I would and subtle and not so subtle ideologies about what's occurring, but the Kaepernick f- f- phenomenon is really fascinating. Well, really, it's not really much aside for me, right? The reality is, this is America. The last I checked, it was a democracy. Now, I just read last week in China, they shut, they, well, China is censoring that, in, that uh, internet censorship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the Russians want to do the same thing. You see, in other words, in China, they're saying now, you know, we want to control Facebook, control censor. That's China. And Russia wants to do the same. Now, you know, Putin's a great friend of Trump. Mm-hmm. You see, but in America, what I've been read, what I've studied is a democracy. And when did the flag only meant for one group of people, the veterans? Yes, they go out and put their life on the line. But freedom is a we all participate in freedom. This show is about freedom and Mm -hmm, democracy. Absolutely. The truck driver that brings your cereal from New York to Miami, the freedom of choice to have 15,000 types of cereals when you go to stop and shop Mm -hmm. plays a part in freedom. Educators to to make you aware and be thinking critically, so you become an informed voter. So we all play a role in this. So I can take a knee at the flag to protest the NRA and not supporting the and then the gun lobby. I can take a knee because I'm upset that the government won't support Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands aid effort. Mm-hmm. So there's so many issues. I can stand for the flag because I like the progress the country made. That's fine, but that's call America. That's choices. So this whole public display of patriotism based on the national anthem is all is all phony and it's a fraud. And at the same time, you're saying stand up, but you're cutting benefits for poor people in health care. We don't support the, the VA hospitals like we should. The veterans who have PTSD not getting treated don't have a job. Let's get to the real issue. Stop doing symbols, as Reverend William Barber said. Let's mm-hmm, do statutes. Mm-hmm, you see what mm-hmm, I mean? So for mm-hmm. me, if I go to a game, you sit down, I have no problem with it. Mm-hmm. You stand up, put your hat on, hat off. Let's get to real stuff, not this symbolic stuff. But the reality is that President 45 understands that his base buys into symbols. Mm. You mm. see what I mean? Mm. Let's make America great again. That's a cold word. Mm-hmm. Let's make America white again. Mm-hmm nationalism, patriotism. Let's go back to the 50s of of patriarchy, of women staying at home, black folks in the back of the bus, gay and lesbian people just don't don't exist, don't matter. That's what they buy into. So and, it's up to us to understand that and do something about it. And and Dave, you you're here to kind of help us understand it and 
and and to do something about it as well. And again, this is the Tom Ficklin show, and Dave Canton is my guest. Dave, in terms of Kaepernick, bring people up to date a little bit about the 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 is uh, okay. exercising the legal system. Right. So as of I think as today, he's going to file a grievance against the NFL for collusion. So based what collusion is in sports, so we have what thirty NFL teams. So there's no document. The owners didn't meet in a room with the GMs and and said on a dotted line. There's no email. There's no Facebook link. It's all a wink, wink, and a gun and an understanding. Don't sign this guy. We've done studies with our base. We think that they will not show up. They will send us thousands of emails. It will disrupt our flow of money. We all know that Kaepernick, without a doubt, can play in this league. If you go through the rosters of these quarterbacks in NFL, you find out two things. There's a culture of backup quarterbacks, mostly white, and they can't play. But what do they do? <laughs> they come to work on time. They hold a clipboard, don't say anything, and get that check and then get that pension. And you're telling me Colin Kaepernick can't hold a clipboard, come on time? You're telling me he can't do that? Yes, he can. But the reality is the, their fear, he'll disrupt the cash flow of the organization, a quote-unquote distraction. Mm -hmm. Now, it's funny. The Miami Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, last year supported Kaepernick. Now, this year, doesn't support him mm -hmm. because, again, he's heard from his friends, his peers, emails, Facebook. Remember, fans call, and that's what people don't understand, the mm -hmm. power of calling in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was in a radio show. A guy worked for a team and said, you know what? They had to hire him at ESPN. I think it was ESPN when Jamel Hill got suspended for two yes. weeks. People call in they had to hire extra people to take phone calls mm. that voice their displeasure with her comments about Jerry Jones and people should boycott or not support the NFL. So what did Jerry, what did the Dallas Cowboys, what did Jerry Jones say? Jerry Jones said, if you take a knee, you, you will not play in the game. No one on this team will take a knee. You see what I mean? That's mm. power. Mm. That's all that is. Now, remember, he's a Trump supporter. Texas is a red state. He has that billion-dollar stadium. I need these revenues. But now we're talking about power, that I'm telling you as a grown adult to stand at this on or else. Mm. So we'll see. They play next Sunday what's going to happen. So I'm guessing right now there's a lot of negotiations going on. They might tell some uh, players to stay in the tunnel, stay in the locker room. So we'll see what's going to happen. We'll see if some students, and some, students some players, mm -hmm. and again, it's not just black players. It's another thing we have to understand. We talk about these issues. Issues are sometimes not determined only by skin color, but one's perspective. Isn't Clarence Thomas black? But look at his policies. So you can be a white football player taking knee. It may not be police brutality, but it could be about about what the lack of gun control, mm -hmm. low live uh, low uh, uh, minimum wage in this country, seven twenty five. It can be about poor at public school education. Climate. It, even. it could be about climate. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? So you could take a knee for any issue. That's the point I'm making. So it doesn't just have to be the black players, but they do get the brunt of this because that becomes the assumption. It's what black people do and always will do for democracy in this country. Put the first foot in, then do all this change and don't get any credit. You see what I mean? That's the thing. As a historian, you get frustrated. Well, people, people, people do refer to the affirmative action really benefiting non-black people. Uh, of course. The number one beneficiary is the white females for affirmative action. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? And you look at California, they passed Proposition 209 where many white women voted to keep other folks out. So once I got in the game, I'm shutting it down. 
You see, mm. and this is why history, folks, is so important in understanding these issues. So it's all related. So, so back to Kaepernick, he's filing a grievance. So now he's trying to prove collusion. Now, there's no evidence. So the NFL people can say there's no evidence of this meeting I talked about. But Kaepernick's side, no. They'll probably name these quarterbacks, look at the statistics, and say, we all know he should be in the league. But, of course, NFL folks are going to deny that, and they're going to say he's not good enough, he's out of shape, uh, he doesn't understand the system. You see, then it becomes like a, a, a game back and forth, mm -hmm. you see. But at least it gets the issue out there. So I know personally I haven't watched the game all season. I don't buy that stuff. Mm -hmm. you know, so so my, you endorse the boycott? Oh, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? And that's other people can do that. The ratings have gone down, you see? So we'll see what happens. But it's, it's, it brought up a conversation. Have we, now, the reality, we haven't talked about police brutality, though. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> we go there. Yeah. You know, we haven't talked about the issue. Okay. So if we look at police brutality, we know it's a long history. And my theory is, probably said it before, I think the reality is, is that when you have white police officers, and many don't live in the town that they're in, See, this, 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 let's, let's go back historically. Mm -hmm. we look at New Haven in 19, 1890s, 1880s. Before African-Americans migrated here, it was mostly Irish, right, Jews, and Italians. So the police were mostly Irish, right, Irish politicians. The police officer lived next door to probably his local parish priest mm -hmm. who lived next door to the teacher. So when the police, the old beat cop, was mm. walking down Dixwell, he had an idea which kid was the honor student, which kid had some issues, which the town, the local quote-unquote wino person. And I guarantee when there were problems, they were negotiated. Mm. There was patience, conversation. Hey, John, come get your friend. Okay. We also know that crime was basically wasp looking at Irish and Italians. Those were in Jewish groups because they were poor from Eastern Europe. So if you look at the older newspapers of that time period, I guarantee those are the groups we considered crime, mm -hmm. right? So it was 1890, when you said crime, an Italian guy ran through your brain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When blacks migrated after World War I, and after, definitely after World War II, what happens, okay? The neighborhood changes, become more African-American. Many whites leave to go to the suburbs, cheaper taxes, quote-unquote better schools, more resources. There's only so many white police officers that can work in these all-white towns. Somebody to work in New Haven. So now look what happens. I can use myself as an example. Mm -hmm. I live in Hamden, but work in New London. Mm -hmm. All my community activity exists in Hamden, not New London. Mm -hmm. So I'm there to get paid, get my check. I don't know John for Joanne from Pete. <laughs> don't know him. There's no uh -huh. doubt about it. Yeah. You see, so if I'm a police officer in New Haven, and I live in Brantford. I do my little league in Brantford. My church is in Brantford. My Knights of Columbus is in Brantford. All my social networks are in Brantford. So when I go to New Haven, and then the reality is, let's be honest, because of our poor educational system, what do these police officers understand about black history and culture? Mm. Mm. Little to none. Mm. You mm. see? So when they go through the training. How, 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 how do you feel about uh, the need for, for Black History Month? Oh, this should be Black History Year. Mm -hmm. And not only that, Black History Year, Latino History Year, women, we have, this is the problem. Our K-12 through history is still wrapped in what we went through when I was in school. Presidential history, some facts, but not really about ideas. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? We don't want to talk about controversial stuff. We want to teach this sanitized history where everybody's good, there are no, villain, no villains. Not only that, but the complexity of human beings. 
in, in terms of the complexity of human beings, and I'm glad you, you mentioned that and we're kind of winding out. As you know, in Southington, they erected a, a Columbus, Columbus statue. Any comments about that in 2017? Well, again, so, see, if we had why history is so important, when indigenous people protested Columbus, your, your reaction was upset instead of why are they doing that? Now, you may not agree, but here's an individual that led genocide. Mm. I don't agree, but understand why Kaepernick's taking a knee. Oh, police brutality. I don't agree, but in America, he has a right to do that. You see what I mean? That's because we're not educated, right? That's because our K through 12 is more of an indoctrinating system about all this content to make you a good citizen. Don't ask questions. Don't challenge patriarchy. Don't challenge racism or sexism or homophobia. You are here to get a bunch of information and then pop fireworks July 4th, go through the civic rituals of, uh, of uh, anthems and Pledge of Allegiance, and that's being a good, and vote once a year. That's mm-hmm. being a good citizen. Mm-hmm. No, a good citizen engages all the time, asks questions, keeps the government on blast, on check, and is constantly seeking more knowledge can engage in a range of people, ideas, and cultures to make not only this country, but to make the world and themselves a better person. That's what educa- what education should be. And all these stupid standardized tests, all these that don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Take, take it, Dave, boy, we're covering so much. And again, before we went on air, I, I, I saw a, 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 a pledge and a promise from you. So publicly, you've, you're pledging and promising to come back. Without a doubt. I'll all be right. back, brother. Okay. <laughs> take me to... As kind of a sidebar to the students, because just as you were talking, my, my, I'm imagining how the students that you're teaching are responding. Uh, how you've you've taught for how many years again? Fourteen at you, fourteen at Connecticut, at, College, at Connecticut College, sixteen total, and sixteen total. So, so as we kind of conclude, talk about because we do have young people, students, high school students, college students, et cetera, grad students. Listen, what, what's your sense of what kind of feedback? How do you feel about teaching history? Is it problematic? Are you seeing them relating to it? Is it is it is it to, is it psychically psychically too challenging? Is there really an interest in history? It just seems to me that is it's it's a, a very it might might be the most difficult thing to teach history today in well, my mind. Well, I have a strategy. I think my strategy is is um uh I'm called I'm the self proclaimed people's historian. Okay, so I think what my students admire about my class is I'm very honest. Mm-hmm. So I'm not into this generational bashing. Mm-hmm. The millennials don't do this. All the adults listening to my voice did everything the millennials did, but it just wasn't on social media. Mm-hmm. You smoke weed. You drank alcohol. Now, we're not saying it's right, but we understand that that's what youth culture, you're learning, you're testing things out. So I don't do that millennial mashup. Mm. You know, what does that get you? However, at the same time, I challenge students to think about how they see themselves in the world mm-hmm. and to question everything. Mm. whether it's gender norms, class, race stuff, and then how I can relate. So, for example, we had a discussion about Kaepernick on the campus last week, Mm -hmm. and we had one student that said most of my friends are anti-Kaepernick. And he's saying that because he came to a liberal arts college, he can start to see that perspective. Mm. So I said, you know what, it's no different than for many, you know, African-American males who who challenge homophobia. Imagine going to the barbershop. When those comments come out and you sit there, man, this is an opportunity right now to say, what do you mean by that? So all individuals are going through some sort of, uh, of self-reflective mm. and challenging what we think is true. Mm-hmm. So it's not just you going back to your guys saying, listen, liberalism is not is not anti this, anti that. 
but everybody's going through that. So you have to draw a common, mm. there's a common ground somewhere. Mm. And then when I was 19, I went through some struggles that you were going through mm-hmm. when I was 21. So that brings them in. Now it's about deconstructing the K through 12 brainwashing. That's true because they get because they, they get to you, but after twelve years of perhaps negative thinking or or, or just or, you know basic content stuff. Thomas mm-hmm. Jefferson, George Washington, good guys and bad guys, mm-hmm. America's perfect, and all this other nonsense. Mm-hmm. Now it's about deconstructing. Mm-hmm. Not only that, now it's about building on African American history, and not mm-hmm. just the top twelve black people you know: Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman, Malcolm X, Dr. King, Ida B. Wells, Martin Luther King, Booker T. Washington. <laughs> not just top twelve black people. <laughs> It's been critical in understanding this long history and the central role that black people played in this country in making this place a democracy and still to this day do not get the credit that they deserve. Hmm. Hmm. And as we as we kind of wind down, let's elaborate a little bit, a little bit more on that, David, in the sense of in addition to being the associate professor of history and director of, of uh, so the, the Africa, the Africana studies program. uh you're director of that. What's the, you have the two titles, associate associate professor, mm-hmm. and then you have a director. What's 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 right, going on? The Africana the, Studies program is a program where students can major in Africana Studies. Mm-hmm. So basically, I'm the director where we we meet, we have meetings, we have events, and pretty much we have students that uh, major in Africana Studies. So you'll take courses in history, sociology, uh, philosophy, but all taught from a black perspective, a black diasporic uh, perspective. We mm-hmm. have classes on black women feminisms nationalism so students get an opportunity to mm. understand the ideas and intellectual debates among people of African descent mm-hmm. now people always ask what are you going to do with African studies degree well I always say what are you going to do with any degree mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right it's about skills reading writing critical thinking but this major gives you the content within black thought throughout the diaspora mm. and I always tell students this when you go on a job interview no one's going to ask you for all this content stuff However, if you see a book on that person's desk, oh, that's France for non-black skins, white masks. We read that. Mm -hmm. That social capital Mm -hmm. is what gets you the Mm -hmm. conversation Mm -hmm. to get you the next level. But they're not going to ask you about a specific book. Not going to ask about a specific class. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any so, if you're an undergraduate, it's your senior paper, or your what do you what do you call the any any senior paper? Yeah, you could do an honors thesis or independent study. Yes, any of those. Stand out in your mind over the last decade or so, just to tease our audience with how, how creative the students are, are. Let's see. The last one I've had, a great one of mine. Uh, man, that's a good question. Well, you put me on the spot on that that's one. All right. Sorry, just, just curious. Just trying to get a feel for the young people's mind and how they're kind well, of. Well, one student did a paper on like uh, uh, edu- um, free. Uh, I got one. Freedom schools during the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Because again, what the SNCC Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee understood was these students had no history, African history or black histories and that these young people set up freedom schools where they educated their own children about their own history, something that still is being done today. Indeed. 2017. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Dave, we're going to conclude on that note. I'm going to give you the last word and we're going to end with the, with the music as well for the podcast. And it's just been such such a pleasure to chat with you. Time's going quick, man. It always does, That's right? What, <laughs> on, 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 on but, but it's so important. And history and her story and, and our story certainly evolves. And, and you want to be be part of it, not just written written about. You want to you be part of it. You want to be the, the, the author and contributor and the director. So And, and you're, you're really uh, in, in touch with that. Where, where do you go to church? Emmanuel Missionary Baptist Church. And, and, and you mentioned, are you in a fraternity? 
Yes, Omega Psi Phi Fraternity okay. Corporate Epsilon uh, Iota right. Chapter. Right. And, and, and thanks for sharing that just again to <laughs> illustrate that the, when you mention social capital, you really can manifest that spe- that specifically. So get get involved and get, get some feedback and and uh, understand what this, what this world is about and understand how people can keep you keep you uh, spirited and, and enthused. Dave, last word? Well, again, I want to thank you for the opportunity, Tom. Looking forward to coming back. Folks, listen to Damon Beek's podcast, read the information, and just go out there and uh, keep doing what you're doing and, and do more if you can. Tremendous, tremendous. Dave, thank you so much. Thank you. It's the Tom Ficklin Show, and we'll, we'll chat with you next Monday, and we're going to conclude with a little bit from the podcast at, at Dave and Beek's. All you know is how vital I am at snatching titles, running off the rails when I'm arriving and spiting up. Your spares at the gas house, because they kept bragging about Hashtagging how I'm ass out. So keep speaking in code to Fed's Pete Pete. The man got rocked in bed when let spread out the red Jeep. It's monotonous, I keep missing that block twist. Cause love and hip hop really don't mix. Got my woman wondering what I told Gal the dot. The shift comes swift, it's real hard to stop. And here's a little story that must be told. Yo, the block is mad hot, but the bodies is cold. Cotton mouth to diamond back, and cats I be rhyming at. I'm trying to put bullet holes all in my back. Yo, the world is going crazy. The world is going crazy. So love Jones, I wrote so many poems. Now you gotta love me, leave me alone, leave me alone. Guess you can say OJ got away with murder. More times than Shonda Rhimes could ever word it. Yo, a lot I forgot. Still earn my spot, they still trying to plot. Wanna rearrange the game? So I'm laying in the grave or locked up in the cage. Suicidal tendencies got them sending us memes. Homicidal entity with a song in the stream. Dalai Lama, brain trauma is coming on Trump. Bringing drama with mad commas, Obama's gone. The paparazzi got him popping oxy. Caught him copping down on Webster Avenue, up the block from Poppins. I'm not gonna cry over Mary J. Blige to see the ride of goodbye. Spitting verses is my sole purpose, so the whole world is nervous, cause I'm universal like the soul circus. The world is going crazy. Yo, the world is going crazy. We tell 